Amen. Good morning, Harvest. Those who made the, the 9 a.m., you're here. That's great. You made it. Um, uh, be careful on your way out for those who are rushing in for the 11 that's not happening. All right? Just let them come in. Let them park. Wave at them. Pray for them. All that, right? Um, <clears throat> hey, why don't you go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles and go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 is where we're going to be this morning. Isaiah chapter 40. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, throw your hand up, grab one of these uh, Bibles that we have here, and you, you, can, you, can, you can take that home with you. If you don't own a Bible, if you forgot one for sure, grab one of these or grab your own copy of God's Word or your phone, however you, you go to God's Word and go to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. It's, it's really almost right in the middle there. If you hit Psalms and Proverbs, keep going to the right. You'll get to some pretty big books. They're called the major prophets because they're so long, and you, you'll hit Isaiah, and Isaiah chapter 40 is where we're going to be this morning, starting in verse 12. As you're flipping through there, you, you can think about relationships that you have in your life. And, and you can see, you'd probably agree with me that there's a difference between relationships that you have with people who you've known for decades and relationships you have with people who you just met or people who you, you've only known for a short time. There's this, this big difference between those people that you spend time with, you do life with, those people that have, have walked with you and you've, you've suffered with them, you've laughed with them, you've enjoyed life with them, and, and those who you've just said hi to or those who you, you maybe see every once in a while. Because to have deep relationship, you press in to know the person you're in that relationship with and you get to know more and more about them. What are they like? How do they act and react in certain situations? What do they do? And really what you're doing is you're getting to know their character. You're getting to know their attributes, things that make them tick, things that you would say, this is who they are. And you go beyond just, hey, what's your name? What's your job? And what are some things about you? But you start to press in deeper. That might sound weird to say this, but it's the exact same way with God. Now, you might be here and you might be like, I'm, I don't know about this whole God thing. I've, I've kind of come in to check this out. I'm a bit agnostic about this and I'm, I'm not sure about God or, or, or maybe just you're super new to this idea of God. And so, so church then becomes like this, this weird, uncomfortable, blind date you're on, right? Because you're just getting to know God. You're at that awkward stage of a, a beginning relationship. And, and so what do you do? You press in to get to know God more. You, you press in and say, who is this God really? Who is this God who, who calls me to follow him? Who is this God who says that he, he loves me with this, this uh, unending love? Who is this God? Now, now maybe you're here this morning and, and you've grown up in church your whole life. And you're like, yeah, 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 I know God. I got this whole God thing down. I know him. I know what he's like. And, and, but here's the thing. Like a really good marriage, you, you never stop pursuing the relationship. You know, I've been married for 20 years, and could you imagine if I just kind of kick back and be like, hey, Libby, I think I know everything I need to know about you now, so we're not going to hang out anymore, all right? So when you come in, just, just make some meals, that'd be great, and I'll just hang out, and, and you know, maybe we'll talk every once in a while, but we don't really need to get deep anymore, because I think we've gone as deep as we're going to go. Okay, that, that, that doesn't just make for a horrible marriage, right? That, 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 it, it's ridiculous, because you can't say, I've got everything I need to know about who you are. No, you want to grow deeper. Why? Because you're in relationship. There's so much more room to get to know each other. And, and, and maybe there's some of you here, you've been married for decades longer than I have. And, and, and so, so you're in this relationship where, where you know your spouse in a, in a way where, where her eyebrow moves in a certain way. You're like, I know what she's thinking, right? And you've got this deep, deep, but, but because there's a love with you guys, you're like, man, I, I, I want to get to know him more. I want to get to know her more. I want to grow deeper in this relationship, but I, I don't want to stop pursuing 
this relationship. And listen, listen, if it's like that with just finite human beings, with just each other here in this room, translate that same idea now to a, a, a vast, awesome, infinite God. A God who then finds us and establishes relationship with us. Listen, we continue to pursue for eternity to know him. Why would we do that? Because knowing God, knowing God's glory, knowing God's grace, listen, it transforms us. When you begin to see who God really is, when you see him in all his awesomeness, his infinite power, his holiness, and you're like, man, this God is incredible. This God is not just a bigger version of me. He's not just a smarter me and a bit stronger than I am. No, no, he's not just a little bit more. He's infinitely greater than anyone or anything we could ever imagine. I don't know if you've been watching online the pictures of, of, of Hurricane Dorian. You've been seeing some of those photos of what it looks like coming off the coast, and this, this massive, dark, turning cloud. I mean, it's just, it, it, it kind of makes your stomach turn a little bit, just thinking how awesome and powerful it is, and, and there's this this fear even as you're seeing that, and then to think, to think that that's just a small slice of creation. Something that God created. How, how huge is our God? And then, then when you begin there and you're, you're standing in awe and wonder and fear of this God, you begin to then, listen, have a proper view of yourself as well. To see who God really is helps us to begin to see who we really are. And it changes us. I start to realize I'm a lot smaller. I'm not that awesome. I heard one preacher say it this way. Nobody goes to the Grand Canyon and starts to do push-ups and say, look how awesome I am, right? No, because you're standing for something. This is incredible. And this view of God, it changes this view of ourselves. And here's what it does. It drops us on our knees in worship. And, and then you begin to think about God's grace as you stand seeing how awesome and holy and mighty he is that, that in his love, he would pursue you. This holy, awesome God cares for, loves this insignificant, small, sinful me. And then that, that heart then just grows up with even more worship and more thankfulness. And you say, God, whatever it takes, wherever you call me, wherever you're going, I want to be where you are. So track with me what I'm saying here. I'm saying, listen, it begins with knowing who God is. And when you see who God is, it changes how you see yourself. And in light of his, his awesome holiness and his, and his unbelievable grace, we then what? It changes our worship and our actions. It changes how we live. And so you, you can track that in reverse order now. Now look at your life. Maybe you look and say, man, what, what's going on in my life? How am I living? Am I living in anxiousness and fear? Am I following other things and worshiping other things? Walk it backwards. Man, what am I worshiping? Why am I worshiping that? What, how do I view God? Your heart worshiping something other than God. Why? Because we have a small view of God. When we see God in his awesomeness and his holiness and his unbelievable grace, it transforms us. I would say it this way. Almost all of our spiritual problems we have in life, things like doubt and and apathy and and anxiousness and unhappiness and, and insecurity, they come from a very small view of God. And so in this series, here's what I want to do, man. I want us to just begin to unpack the attributes of God. 
And we're not going to cover it all. In fact, this week in the the e-news, I'm going to fire off just some great resources, some some different books to read, some books I've been reading, preparing for this. Just some really great, there's some super deep theological ones. There's other ones that are just super easy reads but have so much in them. I mean, if you're looking to grab one now, there's there's a couple books that have been just rocking my world. They're by an author, Jen Wilkin. She's just a brilliant author and teacher. And she has two books, one that talks about God's incommunicable attributes and one that talks about his communicable attributes. You're like, Big words. Fancy, Kai, right? Let me unpack those words a bit. We're, we're okay using big words here, right? Because because steak is better than McDonald's, so we want to dig deep into what theology has to say, and, and, and we're not afraid to, to jump into what these words are. His God's communicable attributes. Those are things that God is that we share in that he passes on to us, like parents pass on to their kids. Like, like when you see someone's kid, like, man, they're so much like their mom. Man, they remind me so much of their father. That's communicable attributes. And we have some of those things that God is in his infiniteness, we have in finiteness. So God's holiness, God's grace, God's love. These are things that, that he passes on to us, but, but here's something that's so amazing. I think it, it's even more, more incredible than those communicable attributes. There are some things that only God can do his incommunicable attributes, things that are only describing him. Only God is infinite. Only God is incomprehensible. Only God is self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal, unchanging, omnipresent. That that word omni there, that little word just means all, all present, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful. Only God is, is those things. And, and what we're coming to start this morning, and as we jump into this series this morning, we're going to start first with an incommunicable attribute of God. God is infinite. God is infinite. Anytime we start talking about God, it's, it's best to start here. It's best to start in this place of, hey, here's God. He is infinite. He's immeasurable. Because what happens is the key here, when you start thinking about these types of attributes is when you say this is how God is, you continue the sentence and go, and I am not. His love and grace and and holiness and power and wisdom, it's limitless. You can't even begin to measure him. And and here's where we, when we have a right view of God, we begin to have a right view of ourselves as well. And it begins to transform us where, where we start to see, man, so much of my struggles during the day, during the week, so much of my heart battles come from me trying to be God, me trying to live out the incommunicable attributes, me trying to control me trying to be eternal, me trying to be all-knowing, me trying to be omnipresent. Man, our phones trick us into thinking we are, right? I can be Facebooking someone here, texting somebody there, to, and what it, it just wears us out. We strive to be sovereign, to, to have all control, and we grasp for it, controlling our lives, our schedule, people around us, and then we fall apart. Why? Because we're not sovereign. And so we find for our hearts and our souls this healing that comes as we look away from ourselves and we start to look to who God is, what he's like. And and we find that the deepest healing, the the deepest growth, the deepest health and life is, is not by looking more inward, but by actually looking more outward and seeing God and his infinite greatness. And what's it do? It sets me on the map in the right place. 
where I fit in God's grand story, where you fit in God's grand story. And that's where true change comes. That's where the transformation comes, the the change in our worship, the change in our desires, the change even in the difficulties of life. It begins here. God is infinite and I'm not. God can't be measured. He he can't be limited. That's what what infinite means, that he's, he's limitless in his wisdom. He's limitless in his power, in his justice, in his goodness, in his love. Let's see, as, as the prophet Isaiah unpacks it for us here in Isaiah 40, you know, now Isaiah's a prophet, he's writing this, this, this letter, this, this, these prophecies to, to a group of people who need to both be warned and brought hope. And so he's stepping into a bunch of people who, have, who don't have a right view of God. They're running after their own thing, making their own gods, being their own God. And, and Isaiah's stepping in saying, hey, hey, don't forget who God is. Don't forget about his justice. Don't forget that he will bring judgment. He will discipline those he loves. But he's also writing to bring hope. Saying, but he's also a God who fulfills his promises. His covenant love will be fulfilled. His promise of redemption. And so here in chapter 40, here's what Isaiah is really saying to us. He's saying to us as well, hey, don't forget who God is. You need to know this God. You need to know his greatness, his infinite greatness. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's our first point this morning. It's this. God is beyond all measure. God is beyond all measure. Verse 12, it says this way. Isaiah says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure? And weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Isaiah's giving us this, this huge view. Yeah, you have to kind of picture what he's doing there. He, he's giving us this, he's basically saying, hey, I want you to see everything. As low as the ocean depths, to as high as the heavens, to as far away as the mountains and the deserts. He's saying, this is the God I'm about to talk about. That, that This is the God that has all of this in his hands. This whole thing. He said that this God cannot be measured, cannot be limited. He's, he's beyond all measure of size. In fact, Isaiah says, hey, let's, let's use some measurements here as we talk about God. So verse 12, he goes, he's measured in the hollow of his hand, just that little space when you cup your hand. He's, he's talking about the span of God's hand when you spread your hand out like that. He's talking about a measure. You can literally translate that word into a basket, God's little basket. He's talking about scales, and these are all ways we measure things. And, and think about what you can actually measure in, in, your, in your little palm of your hand, the hollow of your hand. How, how much could you hold, right? Maybe a, a quarter of a cup of water, maybe, right? How hard that is, probably not quite that much. Like if someone comes to you and says, man, I am so thirsty, just a second, right? Not only is it just awkward that you would do that, but like, that's not going to be enough, right? I want more than that, Think, think about your hand span. How, how big is your hand span? Like maybe eight, nine inches? Think about a basket. You know, think about rolling into Walmart, right? And, and the, the guy at the door there goes, hey, you want a cart, right? And, and if you're like me, because most dudes are this way, we're like, no, I don't need a cart. I'm going to carry my stuff, right? And then you end up like milking your teeth. You ever do that, right? And then what do you do? And you're like, I got to find a basket, right? Because you still don't want a cart, right? So you get the basket. But, but how much can a basket actually hold? Right? Maybe some milk, a few vegetables, maybe, maybe a box of cereal gets thrown in there as well, but not a whole lot, right? Or what about scales? 
Maybe you've got one of those, those kitchen scales where, where you're, you're like a chef or a, a baker and you're like, man, I, I got to make sure this measures out right. You've got the, the, the little scales there to measure out some flour for a recipe. That, that's you and me. That's how we measure using those things. How does God measure? What's he got in the hollow of his hand, it says here? Uh, the Arctic, the Pacific, the Atlantic, the Indian, all, all the oceans of the world. That's in his hollow of his hand. What's God measuring in the span of his hand? Not much, just the, the heavens, right? Astronomers, they're estimating now that the number of stars is, is more than 3,000 billion trillion. That sounds like a number a six-year-old makes up, right? It's like 3,000 billion trillion, right? Apparently, it's a real number. It's, it's, it's three and then 24 zeros after that. Now, here's the thing with numbers that big. They don't make sense to us. We can't quite get our heads around 3,000 million billion. is a lot, I guess. I heard one guy do it this way to help you understand it more, to get our heads wrapped around it. So, so here, let me ask you this. Do you know what you're doing a million seconds ago? A million seconds ago, that's 11 days ago, right? So that's last week sometime. Okay, a million seconds. I, I can remember that. All right, what about a billion seconds ago? Remember you're doing that? Because a billion seconds is 31 years and eight months. Right, so we're talking January 1987. All right, Oprah just launched her show. Okay, remember, right? Ferris Bueller, he's taking a day off. Okay. Right. Actually, I looked it up because I did. I googled this. That that was it was that, that was the year they invented. They started using those little small floppy disks. Remember, you went from the big floppy disks now those little plastic ones, right? And some people are going, well, I don't care because a billion seconds for you ago, you weren't even born, right? So it's a, it's a ways ago. How about a trillion seconds ago? What is that, like maybe a couple of centuries? A trillion seconds ago was 29,672 BC, all right? The first Star Wars just came out, okay? Like it's, <laughs> it was a thousand billion. Okay, now think of those numbers again and think of this number, 3,000 billion trillion stars and, and, and ready, we can't even comprehend that much and God's going, I measure them here. We've got the Hubble telescope still sending back faint images from 12 billion light years away. And God said, yeah, it's about that far away. What's he got in his little basket? It says he closed all the dust of the earth. So the Sahara, the Gobi, the, you know, every bit of dust you find, every bit of sand that's around, he's thrown it into his little basket over his arm, right? And he's like, I don't need a cart for that. I'm just grabbing a few things. All the sand of the earth. Huh. What's he got on his measuring scales? He's got what? It says he weighed the mountains in the scales, a hill in a balance. He's got the Everest and all of the Himalayas, the Rockies, the Andes, all of them just sitting on his little kitchen scales. Here's what Isaiah is trying to get us to see as we look at this. All these measuring tools he just laid out for us measure very small things. He didn't say that, that God got out his Stanley fat boy measuring tape. Is that even a, I don't even know. I don't build stuff. Right? He, right? he didn't say that. He didn't, he didn't talk about measuring tapes or any of that. He, says, he just gets out these little things. So, so imagine, imagine what God would build if he was really, if he was, if he was doing something huge, bigger than our universe. We keep going on. God is beyond all measure. Let me read it again. Who has measured the waters in the hall of his hand? He's marked up the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of earth in a, in a measure, in a basket, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. God is beyond all measure. He goes on. Verse 13 says, Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? 
Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? So Isaiah now moving from, from things of measurement, now he's moving into kind of school stuff. Here's our second point this morning. God isn't just beyond all measure. He's infinite in knowledge as well infinite in knowledge. So so not just his size, but his wisdom and his knowledge. Everything we know, you might be in here and you might be the smartest person in the room. You still learned it from somebody else. Everything you know, you've been taught. So if you know a lot, it means you've just been taught a lot by somebody else who knows a lot. And Isaiah is saying, hey, when did God ever raise his hand to ask a question? When did God ever have to ask for help? None of us have done, have done anything. There's no one here who's done anything that you did not have help to do or someone to instruct you how to do it. There, there's some of you guys in here, man, you, you are unbelievable builders. And I mean, you drive by the homes you're building, like that is incredible. Listen, you didn't just come up with that on your own. Right? I always say there's nothing in my home that has not been fixed or built that didn't start with YouTube, right? Like, I, I, gotta find, I don't know how to do that. I gotta figure that out. God didn't need to ask for help. God didn't need a planning committee to work out how he was going to create the universe. God never had to cram for an exam or figure out when he's going to get his homework done. So as we wrestle to understand life, to know that the infinite mind of God has never been stuck on anything, never unsure about what's the next step to take here. That brings so much comfort when trials come our way. When suffering enters into the picture of our life, we, we, we remember this, okay, he is so far beyond measure in power. I mean, he spoke the universe into existence. He's measuring it with a span of his hands. And, and so if that's how powerful he is and, and comparing his power to our power, I can't work out without being sore the next day. And that, that right? So, so think of our power compared to God's power. Now do the same comparison with our wisdom. So when when trials come and we give our cares to the Lord, why? Because we can trust him that his wisdom is as far above ours as his power is. That that, that maybe in the midst of this trial, maybe God knows something I don't know. Maybe he's got a purpose that I can't see. You see, see, first year philosophy class, you'll you'll roll into that class and the the prof will, will throw at you stuff like this. Well, God can't exist because of pain in the world. And he'll ask you this. He'll say, if, if God's all-powerful, then he could do something about it. If God's all-loving, he would do something about it. So if there's still pain in the world, then he's either not all-powerful, therefore not God, or he's not all-loving, therefore not God. Here's the part missing from that equation. How about all-wise? How about God actually knows a bit more than we know? He's not just all-powerful and all-loving. He's all-wise. There are parts of God's plans, listen, that are beyond our wisdom and understanding. And I don't say that lightly. I don't say that to brush past the pain and the suffering you might be experiencing. I just say, listen, I don't know. We don't know. But man, we can rest in a God who knows. And rather than trying to be God and to be everywhere and everything and figure it all out, we rest. We trust. God, you're infinite in wisdom. Here's a third thing we see here in Isaiah. 
God is beyond measure. God is infinite in wisdom. Here's the last one. God is infinitely worthy of my worship. This God who's all-powerful and all-knowing, when I, when I see him, and the, the only thing you can do when you truly see who God is is begin to worship him. Look at verse 16, though. It says, Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. What's Isaiah saying there? Lebanon was known for its massive cedar trees and how many it had. These huge forests of cedar trees. And Isaiah is saying, imagine if you took every single one of those trees and you burned them all and you got every animal in the country together and you said, I'm doing this massive sacrifice. And what's the idea of the sacrifice thing here? God had set it up this way where, where you would worship in a way where he was showing that our sin has cost and to pay for the sin is death. And so he was saying, listen, when an animal is sacrificed, there's this picture of that animal taking the penalty for us and sins being forgiven, all of it pointing to Jesus when he arrives on the scene, and John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus comes in, now is the ultimate, final sacrifice, okay? So, so what Isaiah is saying here is, if you could gather up everything you could for worship, let, let me put it in our context, if, if you had, had all the best musicians in the world, like he's making a ridiculous comparison, you got all of the best musicians, you got them all together, and you gathered the, the largest number of, of worshipers you could in the biggest stadium you could find, it's still not worthy of all that God is. Listen, as we pour out our hearts even this morning in worship, as we sing, as we live our lives, as lives of worship, it's good and right to do that. But understand this, it doesn't even come close to the majesty and awesomeness of who God is. Even our deepest, most passionate, truthful, honest worship. The greatest guitar solo in the world in a worship service compared to the awesomeness of God is like your two-year-old pushing buttons on that Sesame Street guitar, right? That's what it is, compared to the awesomeness of who God is. And I'm not trying to put a downer on worship. This should drive us to more worship. That we pour our hearts and our lives out as this act of God. You are so worthy of all of this and you're worthy of even more because I can't even, I can't, I can't even begin to encapsulate you in a song or with my life. Here's how Pastor Matt described it when I was visiting him in the hospital. He said, man, God showed me something incredible, Kai. So when Matt was really, Pastor Matt, when he's in the hospital and he was really at a, not in a good place, was not doing well, he couldn't speak. And maybe you've seen like the videos online of him trying to say his name and, and he couldn't speak really well. And he also did this thing. He, he would just be laying in bed and he would be whistling. It would just be this, and he couldn't stop doing it. And he hated it because in his mind, he knew he was doing it. He goes, man, man, I just look crazy. I'm laying in bed, just whistling away. And here's what he said. He said, God began to press in on his heart. And he said, God began to humble me. So God began to say to me this, Matt, you're a gifted communicator. You're a gifted counselor. But compared to me, all your words are like whistling and mumbling. Like that's the difference between what we offer and who God is. And it's, it's, it's humbling to remember that. But listen, it's also worship inspiring that, that we worship a God who's so much greater, so much more worthy, worthy of infinite worship. And so what do we do? We pour out all we have. I mean, look, look at the surrounding verses around verse 16. Verse 15 says this, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, 
and are accounted as the dust on scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Verse 17 says, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Every human effort that we make in the flesh, every human effort we make to to move towards God. If I do this, I get in God's good books. If I do this, I'll be worthy of God. Not enough. Everything we try to do is not enough. And Isaiah's not saying that, that we are worthless. He's saying in comparison, in value, what we bring to the table compared to the holiness and awesomeness of God, he goes, it's nothing. Why? Because we can be measured and God can't. We can be measured and God can't. And here's the thing. We're reminded of this every time a baby's born, right? I see Ray and Travis, you're back there. You just had a baby, right? And the first thing when a baby comes, what do you, you're, like, you're like, okay, you find out he's a boy or a girl. Then the next thing you ask is, how much does it weigh, right? How big is it? How many inches or whatever they send me? I don't know. I'm a, I'm a guy. We don't even remember that stuff, right? But, but we're always, and what's happening? Every time, and this is that's just so mind-blowing. I read this in a book that every time we're born, it's another reminder you can be measured. When the baby comes out, we say, so cute, but not God. Measured, weighed, qualified, quantified, cataloged. No one's ever done that to God. Our, Our whole world can be measured. We can be measured. The things we do can be measured, but God cannot be measured. We are finitely created. He is the infinite God. And listen, that changes everything. Why? Because, because, listen, we'll either run around in our whole life trying to be like God and we become either exhausted in doing it or arrogant in thinking we're actually accomplishing it. Or we remember that he's God. We, we, we can be full of worry and anxiousness. We, we can be sorrowful and weighed down or we can embrace the truth that I am limited but I serve and am loved by a limitless God. And their hearts learn to trust, learn to rest. Now, now why would I say we would trust? Because in this picture of this, this huge God and puny us, while you stand in the midst of this hurricane who is God, that, look at verse 11. Verse 11 says this, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This unmeasurable, this infinite, awesome God, this God who measures you and measures me, and we come up short, this all-powerful God is also, listen, a tender shepherd. How could the God that that we're talking about here, this, this God who's absolutely just and holy and powerful and wise, how could he look at us with all our weaknesses, all our flaws, all our sin, all our brokenness, and how could he love us? Well, it's because on the night when, when, when Jesus was in the garden and then the soldiers were coming to take him away, do you remember that? And he's in the garden there and Peter pulls out his sword to defend Jesus and cuts off a guy's ear, right? He wasn't being clever, like, I'll take his ear off to warn him. Peter was a spaz fisherman, not a swordsman. He was trying to cut the dude's head off and he missed, basically. That's what I'm thinking going on. She's like, Wah! right? And what's Jesus do in that moment? It's like, Peter, put the sword away. Put that hilarious display of your power away, right? 
Jesus says, don't you know I could, I, I could have a, a legion of angels come down and rescue me? Don't you know that I created all of this, that I could do this and you all are gone? Jesus had the strength to do that, but he also had the strength to be weak. He also had the infinite glory to be meek, to, to lay down his life for the sheep. And so the, the cross of Christ then speaks a love that's so much deeper, I think even deeper than we even can comprehend. That, that, that the cross of Christ, as he lived the life we should have lived and then died the death we should have died, risen from the grave to conquer sin and death, that, that, that what he did there, the cross doesn't just wipe out your sins, it welcomes you into the arms of this awesome God. It's unbelievable, Amen. So when you find yourself anxious, when you find yourself fearful, when you find yourself troubled, when you find yourself shame-filled, when you find yourself apathetic or angry or, or striving for control or, or doing whatever you can to look better, you're forgetting this truth, the true depth of the gospel. That Jesus didn't just die for your sins. Like, it isn't just like you're, you're a prisoner on death row and you've been pardoned, so you get to come out now, right? And, and like that's the limit of God's salvation. He's just gonna say, you know what? The penalty's no longer hanging over your head, right? And then what do you do? You step out of prison, but you step out of prison as an ex-con. You, you have all the baggage and the, and the guilt. You have the baggage of stepping out as an ex-con. And, and for sure, yes, you didn't face death row, but good luck getting a job, right? No one's coming up to go, man, you need to date my daughter, right? No, because you're carrying all that with you. But that's, listen, that's not the gospel. The gospel in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that, that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. Jesus didn't just die the death we should have died. Listen, he lived the life you should have lived as well. And that bad record that was imputed on him, he then took his righteousness and said, this is your righteousness now. You don't just get released from the penalty, you get the reward. Look at verse 10. Behold, the Lord comes with might, this awesome, holy God, and his arm rules for him. And what's he bringing? Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. You get, you get the reward of salvation. You are now treated like Jesus deserved to be treated. So how do we respond to this, this awesome, infinite God who pours out this kind of love? Look at verse 28. It says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He's just recounting what he just said. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But listen, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So what do we do? How do we respond to this? We wait on the Lord. We rest in who he is. We trust in who he is. We put the full weight of our lives on him on this awesome God. So here's what that means for us this morning. If, if you've come in here this morning and, and you're like, I don't really think I know God. Uh, I'm just kind of checking this out. Well, what's this mean for me to wait on the Lord? It means this, to, to rest in him means you say, wow, I see myself clearly here. 
I see who I am as a sinner separated from God. He's not bringing me into his arms because I haven't responded to the gift that Christ has given me. So if you don't know Christ, the way you respond is is by saying, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I, I need this love. I need this redemption, this gospel spoken over me. You say, God, I need you. If you do know Jesus, how do you respond? You rest in him. You rest in his grace this morning. You follow in obedience saying, man, this may not look like it's going to work out, me living my life for Christ right now. I mean, I see the consequences in a worldly sense of what that's going to look like, but Lord, I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to trust that your ways are higher than my ways. I'm going to follow you in obedience. Here's what else it means to really rest and trust as you think about God's infinite awesomeness is you worship. You see him in who he is, and you see yourself for who you are. The response is always worship. It's a life of worship. If you look in your life and you're worshiping something else right now, where people have a place in your heart they shouldn't have, where things have a place, where control, where, where image, where, where prestige, where, where any of these things, where, where they're grabbing a hold of you, and, and these things have become so big in your eyes, man, I have to have this. Because you don't see God for who he is. And these lame idols seem huge then. So what do we do? We get a right view of God. Why? Because a right view of God brings our hearts to worship him and him alone with everything that we have. So as we see God's infinite power and his infinite wisdom, and we see how sinful and broken and fallen and and limited that we are, and we see that God can measure me, and I come up short on my own, but then in that space, in that huge gap between who God is as an infinite God and who I am, in that gap, God steps in, and he pours out grace. He pours out forgiveness and sets you free. Change forever. And what's our response to that? we are set free to worship. Would you stand with me as I pray and as we close off this morning? <laughs> Heavenly Father, I... Lord, we come to you this morning and, and here in Isaiah, it says, it says that you, you sit above the circle of the earth and we're like grasshoppers. You stretch out the heavens like a curtain. Oh God, you are so huge and awesome and mighty. Father, I pray that even right now, even this morning, that we begin to see who you are more clearly. Father, I pray that during this week, as we go about our week, that we dig into your word, we call out to you in prayer, we do life together with others here, and we do it because we want to see you more. So God, open up our hearts, open up our eyes to see you, because we know that when we see you, we see everything else more clearly our idols become so small. Who we are becomes more in light of who you see us as. And so God, I pray that we would see you even now. God, that in your your manifest presence here this morning as we lift up our voices to worship you, knowing that that we're bringing you something so small, but it's all we have. And so we're pouring our hearts out in this beautiful act of singing and worshiping to you because you are holy and awesome and infinite and so worthy of it. So God, we give you all our worship, both now as we sing and our lives this week and forward. And I pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Let's sing.